This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 740 of Horse Tip Daily. A different horse tip, a different equine topic, a different equestrian expert every day. Horse Tip Daily brings the world of equine knowledge to you one day at a time. Today's tip is brought to you by Kentucky Performance Products. Simple solutions, scientifically proven. Coach Jen here, and thanks for tuning in to Horse Tip Daily. Today's tip is brought to us by the Horses in the Morning's favorite thoroughbred racehorse, Mucho Macho Man. Well, actually, by his owner, Dean Reeves, and his racing manager, Finn Green. And yes, Finn will explain to us what racing manager means. In this first installment of our four-part series on owning racehorses, we will cover the things that you need to know and need to do before you become a racehorse owner. But first, let's hear from today's sponsor. Spooky, tense, edgy, unfocused? If these words describe your horse, a calming supplement could make training easier and riding more fun. Trouble-free paste from Kentucky Performance Products is scientifically formulated to support proper nervous system function and help your horse maintain a more confident, focused, and relaxed disposition. Trouble-free contains a blend of ingredients that support your horse's normal nerve cell and muscle function and is available in a convenient 80cc oral dosing syringe containing two 40cc servings. Ask for trouble-free from Kentucky Performance Products at your local feed and supply store or go to www.kppusa.com. And now, on with today's tip. Well, greetings, Dean Reeves and Finn Green. And tell me, Finn, what is your exact job description over there at Reeves Thoroughbred Racing? Um, I am Dean and Patty's or Reeves Thoroughbred Racing's racing manager. And um, uh, that encompasses a little more than just the racing aspect. I, I believe Dean... I'm the general manager of their thoroughbred operation. Um, so and, you're racing and manager, and Dean is is head honcho. Dean's Dean's king of the hill, head honcho. All right. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you, Dean, as well for joining me this afternoon. I called upon you too because. Um, particularly Dean, we've talked to you a number of times because every time Mucho Macho Man goes out and has a fantastic horse race, we have to get the lowdown from you and Patty. Um, and you're two, two of the most fun racehorse owners I know. Uh, and I well, wanted to, you're welcome. And I wanted to bring to the audience of Horse Tip Daily a little bit about what being a racehorse owner entails because there seems to be a, um, there is a divide betwixt the sport horse world and the horse racing world. And a lot of us who have been involved with sport horses our whole lives or pleasure horses our whole lives really have no idea of how horse racing works except for what we see on the six weeks of coverage we get each year during the Triple Crown. And the first thing we're going to tackle with Dean and Finn is how do you become a racehorse owner? Because it's not as simple as just go out and buy a horse is my impression. So start us out with what does one do once you've decided you want to own a racehorse? What comes first? Well, I think that that you have to answer some of your own questions, even though you've decided to, to uh, go out and, and purchase a racehorse. 
Uh, I think you need to determine um, your own personal goals that you want to attain by owning the racehorse. Uh, I think you want to look at the type of horses and, and type of races that you want to um, uh, try to, that's part of your goals. If that's um, uh, buying horses that are distance horses or uh, some speed horses, uh, is your goal to try to run the bigger races on weekends? Is your goal maybe to claim some horses? Some of those things and, and your long-term goals, um, are you looking down the road to possibly to have some brood mares? Um, or are you, you know, simply in it to race? And then I think one of the most important things is what your financial commitment is going to be. Um, I, and I think once you answer those questions, uh, then you, you go and educate yourself as much as you can through the Internet and, and other publications that you can just learn and then uh, go out and listen and be around sales and so forth and just start to educate yourself. And then once you've kind of got your grip around those items, um, then I think it's time to look at purchasing a horse. And then I think from that, uh, you, you need to go in and find the people that you can um, rely on to give you the best advice that, um, that they can to help you with your purchase of the horse. And that, that goes into... Uh, if you've selected a trainer, uh, if they'll uh, help you look at that, if you want to buy uh, uh, or talk to somebody that's in the business of being consultants, um, or maybe it's people that you've found that you know um, that have some background in horses as you go into looking at buying that first horse. Um, Finn, I'll, I'll let you jump in here. Well, you covered a lot of ground, and uh, all of those points are, are are very valid. It's you know you have to decide whether it's transaction versus a goal, whether it's short term versus long term. I think it's very important as well to, uh, as Dean talked about, establishing your financial ability and commitment uh, to the project, but you also have to think about your exit strategies. I would never advise anybody to become an owner unless they also had a way of, uh, you know, divesting themselves of their ownership and understanding what their exit is, too. Um, it's a numbers game. Uh, <laughs> oh, that, that's, why, that's why I'm so unsuccessful with anything racing. No math chip. <laughs> no. no. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, over the years, um, one of the things that we used to do is go to the, uh, the lower end yearling sales and buy poorly bred yearlings and make them into show hunters and things because you know there wasn't any black type in their in their pedigrees for at least thirty two generations and they had no business being on a racetrack. Um, so once I decided, okay, I'm I'm Susie and I want to buy a racehorse because I love going to the races and I love racehorses. And I'm a sport horse person. I understand horses. I take care of them. And maybe I ride on weekends and things. So I'm going to buy myself an inexpensive racehorse and just go for the ride and enter some, quote, inexpensive races. I'm not out there to, to uh, make any headlines. Do you just buy the horse, hire a trainer, and enter a race? Or is there a little bit more involved 
as far as the paperwork and who has to know who you are and who you register with, et cetera, et cetera. Because, for example, if I am a show jumping rider and I want to ride over a certain level, for example, I want to ride at a national level in competitions that are nationally recognized and gain me points and give me the ability to qualify for a team, I have to be, be a member of certain national organizations and pay dues and fill out certain bits of paperwork in order to be a rider to do those things. As, and then the horse owners have to do the same. Does it work the same way in racing? Go ahead, Dean, because you, you have to go through a lot of licensing processes. Not a lot, but, you know, uh, depending on which state you're racing in, you have to become licensed in that jurisdiction, or they also have national uh, licensing. Uh, but if you're talking about becoming the type of owner right there, Jennifer, you know, just a uh, pay horse, uh, it would seem and appear that that would be at one or several tracks in a small circuit uh, located in one state. Mm-hmm. So you'd have to be a licensed owner in that state. So when you own a racehorse that races, um, you have to be licensed. And the licensing is simply signing up for versus taking a test like a jockey's license would be. Correct. You fill out an application. Now, I've been with Dean at certain points where the application process should have been easier than it was. Some of it it takes a little while, but it's, you know, several pages, and uh, they often fingerprint you. Mm-hmm. But it, going, right, yeah. Yeah, you'll get fingerprinted, and, um, you know, unless you have some sort of uh, devious background, uh, it's a pretty simple process to get your your license. And ultimately, as you get into it further and maybe race in different states, uh, I've got licenses in Florida, New York, Louisiana, California, and Kentucky, and, and it, it just depends on wherever you race. You need to get your license for that race. So that when you're... Race. A licensed owner, you become a licensed owner in a state, for example, Florida. That process is for you, and it doesn't matter if you have three horses or 30 horses, you have a license to be an owner in the state of Florida. That's correct. Yay, I got it. See, this is very confusing um, because this doesn't, it doesn't work at all like that unless you're competing at a national or international level in the sport horse world. So a lot of us are not familiar with those processes. And I'm taking it that if you are a wanted felon, becoming a racehorse owner could set off some bells. Correct. Yes. Okay. That's good to know. For all our listeners. Not always, but it could. (laughs) It could. (laughs) Okay. So you get a license in a given state where you want to race. Are, Are there any other things that you need to do before you find and hire a trainer for example when you buy like if you went to a a sale you went to keeneland and you went to the two-year-olds in training sale and you bought a horse that was already quote ready to race are the requirements different as a buyer do you have to be a licensed owner in order to purchase a horse that's at that point in its career or does it not matter no you don't have to even be licensed to buy a horse at a public auction you just have to have an approved credit application Mm mm-hmm Okay. Uh, you know, so that you don't have to uh, have a license to purchase an animal at, at a two-year-old training sale or, or any of the other sites. And when you purchase a thoroughbred, uh, he comes with his papers, and there's 
signing that happens on the back. That does not make you a licensed owner. That just gives you proof that you got the papers with the horse. Is that correct? That makes you a title holder to that animal. Uh, and, and, and you, in fact, do own uh, that horse, but it does not provide you with the proper uh, um, licensing to race that horse, but uh-huh. you do own that horse. Okay, so where, as as somebody who has made that decision that they want to become a licensed owner because they're about to get or have horses that want they want to race, where do they go to get clear and concise information on how to do that? Well, for example, right now, if you were coming into Florida and going to Gulfstream, uh, there is the racing uh, secretary's office. And, uh, you know, it would be the same in New York or any other state. So you go to the racing secretary's office and, and go in there and raise your hand and say, I need help. Yep, and, and you're licensed by the uh, racing commission of that state. And now when you go to a different track within the same state, your license comes with you, so to speak. You don't have to go to the racing secretary and create new paperwork, or do you? No, your trainer then becomes responsible for making sure uh, you have to produce your documents, but the trainer uh, then becomes responsible for taking care of all of those nuances mm-hmm. of, of moving your horse. Dean would have to, uh, uh, you know, prove that he has a license yes. uh, in that state. But say we were to ship from... Gulfstream um, to Tampa, which Timmy wouldn't let us do. Um, <laughs> but to say, say we were to do that, Cassie would have to go up and Dean would have to, uh, you know, provide evidence that he was licensed in mm-hmm. Florida. Okay. So if the owner and the trainer are the same person, the process is the same. It's just one person doing both processes. That's correct. That made sense. See, I didn't expect that to be. I expected the answer to be, oh, no, completely different set of flaming hoops you have to jump through. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So that's pretty, that's reasonably straightforward in that you get licensed within a state, and for the most part, that gives you the ability to go from racetrack to racetrack with the same licensing, and then the trainer takes care of the rest of it for you. So the trainer is a very busy person when it comes to paperwork. The registration paper, uh, the the jockey club certificate you were talking about, Jennifer, moves with a horse. Mm -hmm. And it has to be at the track uh, at the time of the entry uh, of the animal into the race that the owner is wanting to put the horse in, the owner and the trainer want to put the horse in. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing that somebody has to think about, of course, is getting their silks registered, uh, their racing silks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's, that's the owner that owns the silks, correct? Correct. And okay. he will need to have that registered uh, with the jockey club and approved, and then that will, that will be his set of silks. So that's why when we watch, when the rest of the world actually watches horse racing the one time of year that we watch it, um, or at least the rest of America, we can see two horses in the same race from the same trainer, but wearing different silks because they have two different owners. Correct. Correct. Okay. So, cause I know that's a point of confusion for some, some of us because you go, well, are the silks on the trainer or on the owner? Now, if 
a horse has multiple owners versus a syndicate, which is one owner with lots of little building blocks inside of it. If it literally has two owners that have two different sets of silks, those owners have to decide which silks the horse runs in. Correct. That's, yep, that's correct. Now, does, that, does it have to stay the same, or could um, George and Harry, who own um, Fred Flintstone together, change whether it runs in George or Harry's silks from race to race, or are they required to decide which one it is and keep it that way? Uh, no, it can change, and that's between the ownership parties. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and then it has to be... Um, um, told to the racing secretary. That's office. interesting. I, I, I thought it would be the other way around. I thought they, they would have to decide and say, I'm sorry, when Fred Flintstone runs, Fred always has to run under Harry's silks, but you can, the ownership can change that from one to the other if they both have registered silks. Very interesting. Yeah, you, you can change that. There are now, if you are a minority owner and less than 5% ownership in some states, okay, now I'm, I'm not sure if this is accurate in all states, uh, the horse cannot run in your silks if you own an interest less than 5%. Uh-huh. Uh, so there are some you know, very detailed aspects of what you're talking about, but mm-hmm. typically uh, how you decide which of the owners the horse is going to run in is, is between the owners. That's interesting. So there's Certain aspects of this are much more simple than I anticipated they were be, they would be, and other aspects are a, a lot more complicated than I thought they would be. But um, excellent owner overview on what it takes to become an owner to begin with, and some of the pitfalls and things that you really need to make sure you take care of once you are an owner. And in this conversation, we've been mostly focusing on ownership as a single human being because once you get into the group ownership, there's all sorts of dynamics that we didn't really cover. Um, does, does the jockey club provide or make available publications or anything on their websites that would be useful for people who want to learn more about the, uh, minutia of details involved? For example, when you're less than 5% in certain states, you can't use your own silk. Uh, the thoroughbred owners and breeders association, uh, it's provided information to people for decades uh, about these types of questions and uh, can direct you to the proper sources to answer specific questions, yes. So that's the- and they also, uh, Jennifer, they also have a lot of uh, classes during the year for new owners. Uh, and I'd recommend somebody attend that. Uh, and then at that point, they have trainers and vets and different people uh, at those uh, sessions, and you can learn quite a bit at those. Very interesting. Thoroughbred Owners and Breeders Association, which I'm sure has a fantastic web website, referred to as TOBA in many circles. Um, so that's a great place for our listeners to go and learn more. And it sounds like they're going to have the, the sort of clearinghouse since the Owners Association I want to say thank you to uh, both of you, Dean and Finn, for hanging out with me this evening for a few minutes and letting me ask questions about owning racehorses. Because this, this well, was, we've, we've enjoyed it. <laughs> these are all the questions we wanted to know. We wanted to know the answers to, but we're afraid to ask in public because, as we know, nobody else is going to hear this conversation. <laughs> Thanks a lot, guys. <laughs> and we're going to be you. back. <laughs> we're going to be back you. again soon. <laughs> well, there you go. 
To listen to more tips about the business aspects of horse ownership or horse keeping, you can go to horsetipdaily.com and look for the topics drop-down menu on the left. If you'd like to keep up with what Mucho Macho Man and the other lovely horses in the Reeves Thoroughbred Racing Stable are up to, you can visit ReevesTR.com. That's the Reeves Thoroughbred Racing website. Or you can go to Facebook and look up Mucho Macho Man. He has a vibrant and active Facebook page there, and he also keeps tabs on his stablemates. Don't forget to support our sponsors here on Horse Tip Daily because they make these podcasts possible. Today's sponsor has been Kentucky Performance Products. You can buy Kentucky Performance products at your local tack and feed suppliers or online at fine retailers, or you can visit them online at kppusa.com. Please stop by the Horse Tip Daily Facebook page and let us know what you think of the tips you hear on the show. It's also a great place to tell us about topics you'd like to hear us cover on the show. You can subscribe to all the great shows on the Horse Radio Network through iTunes or Zune and get your horse podcasts automatically downloaded to your iPod, Zune, or MP3 player. You can also listen to the shows right on Facebook. The player's right there every day. I'll be back again tomorrow with another new expert and a different horse tip. Until then, go ride your horse! The Horse Radio Network and the Horse Radio Network hosts are not responsible for statements of guests or their opinions. Use your own judgment when listening to the tips provided by the experts on Horse Tip Daily. (laughs) 